Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. All right, hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with yours truly, Kevin Flynn, joined alongside media executive and standout in the midfield in last week's Mickey Rooney Invitational, Grail Hallett, and that young up-and-coming upstart, the Syria A specialist and OTB producer, Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, we catch up with the head coach of the Clemson Tigers, Mike Noonan. He's been a frequent guest on our show here. They had another great run this year in what is really an odd year, to say the least, with COVID restrictions and the pandemic, but we talked to Coach Noonan about uh, putting a whole bunch of uh, players in the pros and how he dealt with COVID, the situation, the the uh, what lies ahead for college soccer in this country. So it's it's always great to talk to him. So uh, we're looking forward to that. We had a good talk with him, guys. So uh, I was on the East Coast this weekend. You must have felt my presence. In fact, Sam, I was uh, I was at your old stomping ground, your old watering hole, Martha's Vineyard, uh, out there. So um, had an interesting week. Soccer conversation. I'm going to drop a name on you here, fellas, but um, I did a private uh, show, which sounds like I'm a stripper, but I did a private show, a comedy uh, show for a, a bunch of guys that were there for a reunion. And uh, Bill Murray turned up, uh, you know, Bill Murray, the comedian. You guys aware of him? Yeah. Yes. I, yes, I have heard of him. I've been living under yeah, a Murray. rock for the last All right, 50 so, years. Well, so look about, I don't know, when Bill Clinton was president, uh, I met him um Jeez, you know, on, on Nantucket at a fundraiser and had a good 15 minute conversation with him. And then my friend didn't take a picture. And I'm like, did you get a picture? And he's like, no. And then I'm like, oh God, I got to talk to this guy again. So to get a picture. So about an hour later, Bill Clinton's like, you know, coming down the line again. And I say, Mr. Clinton, Mr. President, I said, um, I forgot to tell you that yesterday I watched the Republican National Convention with Bill Murray. And, uh, you know, I was shooting that, uh, Osmosis Jones, the movie, the Farrelly Brothers movie called Osmosis Jones. And I'd been with Bill Murray. We played basketball. Then we went back to the hotel, about 10 of us guys. And then we we watched the Republican National Convention. It was very funny listening to Bill Murray, basically holding court, you know, making funny comments. But I said Bill Murray's name and President Clinton was like, Bill Murray. He goes, Bill Murray, the comedian. He goes, you know, Bill Murray, the comedian. I played basketball with him once and was on a, you know, a shoot with him for two days. And I'm like, yes, I do, Mr. President. And he says, well, he goes, I want to play golf with Bill Murray, the comedian. He goes, you think you can arrange that? And I'm like, Mr. President, I've just met you. You're already asking me for favors. This is rather uncomfortable. So he goes, he, he laughed because that's funny. That's funny, Kevin, because I had a name tag on. And so I, I said, I called the Farrelly brothers and I said, guys, I, I met the president uh, tonight. And I said, he wants to play golf tomorrow on Martha's Vineyard, uh, where Bill Murray owns a home. And Bill, I know, is probably going out there for the weekend. So do you think you can let him know that the president wants to play golf golf with him? And apparently when they told Bill Murray, he was like, uh, no, nah, I don't think so. That's, that's the answer. But then I heard wow. that he he did play the next day. He played Bill Clinton, Vernon Jordan, the club pro, and Bill Murray. And so I said, you know, I said, Bill, you know, I told him the story. And I said, did you play with him? He goes, he goes no. He goes, I didn't play with him. He goes, Whenever something bad would happen to Bill Clinton, he would somehow wind up calling me or Willie Nelson to golf the next day. He goes, I think it was to sort of uh, change the focus of what was happening. So uh, people wouldn't, wouldn't talk about what he was going through at that particular time. But, uh, but it, was, it was very funny. But a lot, of, a lot of stars out on Martha's Vineyard, I guess, Sam. Do you guys see them around uh, when you're living out there in the summer? Uh, 
I mean, yeah, you, you see people kind of inevitably, but, um, you know, I think I should point out the, the neck of the woods that you're in is very different from, you know, my neck of the woods. Um, <laughs> well, the other the side vineyard. of the track, so to speak. There is well, no other side separate, of the tracks. A separate growth, let's just say. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, it's inevitable. You, you, I mean, I don't, I don't know really any celebrities personally, but you kind of. No, but I'm saying, do you see them around town? Do you see them? Around uh, town? From time to time, when I'm on the island, I really just keep to myself and don't really. You, want to see Sam, anybody, go figure. So. That does not yeah. surprise me at all. I'm surprised that Sam's not holding court at the local bar with all the celebs. Well, one, one of you know the big celebrity out there when I was uh, out there for a summer was John Belushi, and you know it was funny. He had a blue Jeep that a friend of mine got uh, when everything was sold and everything, Judy Belushi sold everything. So I used to drive around or ride around in, in John Belushi's old blue Jeep, which I thought I wanted it. And my friend's like, dude, you can have it. I'm moving out West. Uh, I'll sell it to you. And I'm like, great. Cause I wanted John Belushi's Jeep and I was bringing it out to Nantucket or bring it home to Connecticut at that time. And um, he was, you know, we were like just out of college and he was broke. He didn't fix the brakes. And coming right out of the uh, out of the golf course parking lot, there he hit something, bent the frame. That was it, the end of my John oh, Jeep. Damn. So it was terrible. I would have loved to have uh, to have had that thing. So all right, so it was a, it was an interesting weekend. But one thing I got to say, Bill Murray asked me about the Super League, and I'm like, what? So uh, apparently he's a big uh, EPL fan, watches every uh, week, mm-hmm. watches some MLS games. He's, there's a team. Uh, he's down at Char- uh, Charleston, and there's a team there, the Battery think that he's uh, he's been to a game or two there so nice to see the guy is a uh, is a soccer yeah. fan in addition to the cubs which is obviously his beloved team yeah but he, you know he said he didn't know soccer growing up as a yeah. kid in chicago so uh I, I love i love hearing those stories but it's always funny you know you meet that certain type of person who doesn't know anything about the game but certain stories permeate into that you know ground level of like wow soccer it's the guy who's like it used to be pele oh yeah i've heard of pele that's right. all they've heard of or then it was beckham i've heard of beckham and uh, now apparently the super league is is one thing that people people thought about which is the super league was such an american money grab play uh you know we're, we're transferring it's like it's like we're transferring our values over there well, the name super right everybody in america identifies with super Super, yeah, Super Bowl, Super Day, yeah. everything. So, um, all right. So, what uh, what are you guys on over today? What are we on? Uh, well, I just took yeah, some is, shrooms before the show. <laughs> well, you, you gotta, I, met, I mentioned that with Sam later on. In the show, so that's <laughs> yeah. right. That's a callback, but you're in the yeah. front of the show, so nobody yeah. knows. Okay. What are you guys over? So, it's uh, Sam. What's up? What do you? Yeah. Got? So, uh, the Coppa Italia final was yesterday. Juve beat um, Atalanta, unfortunately, from my point of view. But um. I'm over still not, you know, being employed in any meaningful way related to Serie A when uh, this graphic popped up on the screen mid-game, and you let me know if you guys can decipher it. Uh, it was measuring for each team total moves. Not really sure what that means. Maneuvered <laughs> actions and transitions. So transitions, I get. I don't. Sure. I mean, transitions so could maybe be a counterattack. Maneuvered yeah. actions, maybe that's like a collection of more than like five passes. And total moves are maybe possessions. But clearly, someone just threw something into Google Translate, and this is what they got. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, the announcer, the commentary was fine, and they were trying to decipher it too. Um, but and they used it, Sam, in the commentary. Well, they didn't use it in the commentary, but it showed up on the screen yeah. and they, but they referenced, they referenced it and said, it, yeah. I don't really know what that wow. means. That's, I have data, no idea that data run amok in my mind. 
I mean, well, I, think Amer- I think it's a poor translation more than anything, which is, you know, yeah. where I come in, but you know, but possession well, passes, I, I get that. Well, no, look, guys, one of the things I loved about soccer when I started was that there's no like, you know, ERA and, you know, RBI and right. like, all the, the stats and, uh, you know, a lot of things you can't measure about a player uh, that don't show up in stats, you know, how much ground they cover, you know, first, whatever it is. But I think that's an American trait with all these stats. They've tried to translate them to soccer. Some have worked, some haven't, you know, there's certain things about, um, you know, impact players. I think they talked, we're gonna talk about Hazard in a little while, you know, the amount of impact that a player has. Uh, Mesut Ozil getting all that, um, you know, all that criticism and then sort of saying he's led to the most goals. He's, you know, the most positive passes, yeah. all that stuff that you think like the English game is judging him by saying he just doesn't hustle. So in that respect, I liked how, uh, you know, stats have come to the, to the Well, I mean, and, and assists are a fairly recent phenomenon. When I grew up in England, it was just goals. There were no assists. I mean, assists were hockey. They were never a part of soccer. I think that, and, that, that became in vogue maybe 30 years ago or something. Which probably pissed off a lot of midfielders, I would imagine, who are doing the yeah. hard work, going both ways, and then, uh, you know, somebody gets the girl. I mean, if you're Kevin De Bruyne or somebody like that, assists make a, are a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Or even like, uh, you know, Thiago yesterday. Yeah. Liverpool, he just pulls the strings and makes it all happen. So uh, he's got that nice little fade move. I I love, you know, he dips the foot over the ball and and moves shakes left to right, even with his back to the net. Mm -hmm. He clears he clears himself some space. I think that's one one thing that I wish I had learned at an earlier age was to sort of give your have movement that can create space on the ball Mm -hmm. because certain players seem to have it and you can't quite tell why. It's almost like Gretzky. Why did Gretzky always have space? He just was sort of thinking he knew how to clear space for himself. I always like to go hockey with you yeah. two guys. Cause, you know, but uh, all right. So what do you over grill? Uh, I know you're going to love this one, Flinny. This one's for you. Oh, I'm over goodness. Sam Allardyce. Oh, yeah. I've been over Sam Allardyce. He, he, no, he's stepping down at the end of this season. He announced no great surprise. And I just have a feeling this is the final chapter of Sam, you know? Yeah. He's he he's he has brought many a club back from the brink, but uh, I just think it's, this feels like his last campaign, and and we need the infusion of new blood into the Premier League. Uh, you know what he does? He shows up on a team, and he just says, you know, uh, park the bus, kick everything that moves. If it doesn't move, kick it till it does move. <laughs> you know, and just like I don't like that. And then I you know I always look at the Sam Allardyce, and I compare it to Bob Bradley, who you know who was not given a real chance at all yeah. over there and it just it just always pisses me off so sam has been given now sam obviously uh they didn't they were relegated so uh the magic perhaps has disappeared so yes uh, so um all right so guys i guess it's kind of an old story now but I, it's something i gotta mention because it's just this it's just so much about the game we love so much uh the whole allison story um just just a fantastic story i mean what a header a glancing header to the far post it just was a it's just a fantastic story overall don't you think i mean he first of all it meant something 99.9 percent of the time when a goalie trots up with a minute left in a game you're like well this is a waste of time but not only did he score a brilliant header that harry kane would have been proud of it was in the 94th minute and it secured a win over west brom which gave them a chance to finish in the top four. So everything about it was just, was incredible. And again, Allison, a guy who's really had a tough year, his dad died tragically in a 
drowning accident back in February. He personally has struggled on the pitch. He hasn't been the same keeper he was last year. And to see him, not only to see him score the goal, but to see his teammates' reaction. Right. The guy's beloved. It was so clear. It was basically like a Disney movie, especially with the backstory that you mentioned. And what I loved about it, too, was just how humble he was. Uh, He talked about the team, what it meant to the team. And he talked about his, his... uh, you know, the tragedy that he's been through and about the other fans and English fans are not the best. Let's be honest. They're right. just, uh, they're horrible to other towns. And you say like, those are human beings out there playing and every little, that's why the guys cover their mouths when they walk off the field and talk. Cause everything's misinterpreted, misrepresented, you know, they attach things to it. He thanked the Everton fans who were, you know, who had reached out to him and yeah. he said it really made a big difference. So it was wonderful. Yeah. And, and, and also I, I don't generally like when athletes invoke God into conversations, yeah. but he did it in such a, like a heartfelt personal way where it just was not offensive at all. It was like, it was just part of who he is. It was so important to him. His religion so important to him. So I just thought one of the great post-match interviews of all time. Yeah, but you always bring up Baha'i or um, Buddha, I think, in all your interviews. So I, I, I have traditionally, yes, of course. <laughs> Sam, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I always think it's great to get a sort of sense of the human side of these guys because we put them on such a pedestal so often. And uh, it, it made me think about the Azard story from a couple of weeks back that we didn't really talk about where he got just a raft of shit for kind of laughing with his former Chelsea teammates after they knocked out Real Madrid. And similar thing happened in Italy where the the national team goalkeeper, um, Donnarumma, after a loss, after a Milan loss to, um, I think it was Napoli, was, uh, you know, joking with, uh, with Reina, the opposing goalie. They had been teammates before and he just got, you know, attacked by by the fans for it. And I, I don't know, I think there are these nice sort of moments like after the yeah. game, I think we should be able to show a little respect and, and smile. I mean, I don't think every game has to end in, in a brawl. No. Um, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, and show some class. I, I don't know. I mean, you, you had hoped as I had hoped as a player that I was a guy you did not want to compete against, like, but that you'd want to have a beer with afterwards. Sure. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, um, it seems like the Italians have a problem with it, Sam. I know the English do too. So I don't know. Well, I just, think everybody does. I, I think mean, it's and, just, and, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's social media too has created such a toxic environment. I mean, I, the one thing I'll say is, you know, the players know what the potential backlash is going to be. So I would only, Mm -hmm. I would, the only thing I'd offer is be a little more guarded in that situation. I'm not saying that's necessarily fair, but it's just the way it is. It's why players, when they're walking off the field, they're constantly cupping their hands over their mouths because people on social media are lip reading. And what if I'm saying the coach is a wanker and they're lip reading that, you know, so they're all living in this like bubble of just being so nervous about what social media is going to say. Right. But I'm with you, Sam. I think it's it's just too bad that you can't put your arm around a, f- a former teammate and just yeah. Say, hey. And th- there was a story in the Guardian about Azard, who's by all accounts a good guy and a good teammate, and uh, just making the point that he really makes a a point of keeping you know having another life outside of soccer. And I thought that having was, a life, having a yeah. Life. And I thought yeah. that was a real contrast to the piece in the Times by Rory Smith on um, Lewandowski, who comes off as kind of you know literally calls him the Terminator. Um, <laughs> you know, very robotic and. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. It reminds me of like when you watch the Olympics on NBC off and they have these interviews with people and 
the aim it seems is to kind of so you get to know them a little bit and identify with them and they tell these stories of how they got up every day at 3 a.m from the time they were five years old and you just think my god like what a horrible life so i i don't know well yeah i mean it's abc started that whole thing sam rune arledge with the up close and personal segments that they did on the olympics and then those actually were adopted by a lot of other sports networks to do exactly what you're saying, which is to really get behind who this person is. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, as art is by all counts, a wonderful person, we should be celebrating that. Well, this is what I want MLS to do more of which yeah. these profiles to, you know, who are these players out in this field? Because I watch the EPL, I know everybody out there uh, and you know their backstory a bit, but in MLS, I don't always know that. So I think it's yeah. given short shrift, um, but you know, to go back to your point and, and um, you know, with the Lewandowski thing, yet Lewandowski and Hazard, two great players. I think as a fan of a team, you you want a Lewandowski who's totally committed to your team and to winning all the time. As a human being and sort of the depravity that a lot of these athletes go through, because they're in a bubble most of the time. You know, uh, imagine Ronaldo just, I mean, his life, it's not, not normal. Um, you want a person to be mentally happy and healthy. You know, I think a lot of like, you talk about the Michael Jordan story. I mean, you know, he was completely committed, but he was kind of an asshole in a, yeah. in a lot of different other realms, you know? And so not a great person, didn't want to get involved, uh, you know, politically or anything else, you know, try and do anything for anyone else. So I don't know. It's I mean, the other thing about Azard is, you know, he was probably the best player in the Premier League for four years, then came to Real Madrid and unfortunately got injured for 18 months to 24 months. And so the, the fan base is already kind of against him in a way in that this was just fuel. Like all the supporters are basically saying he shouldn't play for Real Madrid again, which is just insane. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They, they booed, gave Ronaldo the boot for God's sake. It was just <laughs> you know, p- p- pain in the ass. Yeah. Sam? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I always go back to the, you know, Federer versus Djokovic kind of comparison. And I, I think there when you're, you're choosing who to support purely on your kind of their human appeal, right? Because they're not connected to a team or anything. Or, and right. in my case, they're not from my home country. Uh, I, I like to hear that, you know, Federer went on a hiking trip in an RV the day after the Wimbledon final, rather than Djokovic going and sitting in some like, you know, super chamber for 24 <laughs> hours so. oxygen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, Cause you don't want to get the bends after, after Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, but, so I mean, I, that's I, just me, but yeah, know. no, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, so guys, I, I meant to talk about this up top, but my ADD got the best of me. Um, you both watched the college cup, uh, which uh, our guest, you know, today, Mike Noonan uh, lost to Marshall who had a great run Marshall. Uh, but what were your thoughts watching the college cup? Yeah. I, so I, I didn't watch the entirety of either of the finals, but I did watch it a decent chunk. Um, my first takeaway was how refreshing it was to see a game in which players weren't rolling around on the ground and, you know, arguing every call with the ref every time. Uh, and there were some challenges that I, as, know, I feel as like, opposed, as opposed to what Serie A or EPL, you mean? Well, I mean, anything, <laughs> any of these leagues now, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm talking about challenges where, you know, like a guy comes in or a girl comes in and their boot is really higher. They go over the top of the ball and it doesn't make any contact with the player, but if it happened in the EPL or in city, I would be a big deal. And the ref right. would be circled by all the players and they do the uh, Neymar role. Yeah. So that, that was very refreshing. Um, but you know, I know my main takeaway was I didn't know anything about these teams coming in. And I, I, mm-hmm. I wonder, you guys can tell me if this is yeah. good or bad, but watching Marshall for about five minutes against Indiana in the men's final, you know, my immediate thought was like, wow, these must be a bunch of foreign kids. 
Were they knocking uh, around? I, they were knocking around. Yeah, I mean, they were just just the way they were playing. They were keeping the ball really well. They, everyone was very composed with it. Had no trouble like taking a few touches if they needed to to get themselves out of trouble. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know what that says about me and my like appreciation of American soccer, but it was my it was my first reaction. Uh, look, I think when you watch the game, it's like that old quote about porn. I know it when I see it. A kind of thing like you you can just tell by you know ways to you know the ways that people play uh, mm-hmm. i think in america one, one of my criticisms of college the college games it is too physical we've talked about the game we watched two years ago grail you know they were just sort of a kick and run thing and they were like yeah. well this wesley is, and middlebury yeah. yeah the english style and we're just going route you know 95 and just trying to knock balls in and get ahead on it or maybe a free kick but i think one of the criticisms of american players is they are not comfortable on the ball mm-hmm. uh they're they're comfortable getting it forward Mm-hmm. And, you know, even, uh, I mean, on this show a couple of years ago, I went to some high school games and watched it and it was some teams tried to play uh, and other teams punished them by just knocking it forward, you know, and yeah, trying yeah. to get, get into it. And in you, even so. Indiana, everyone on Indiana was very good and skilled, but you, it sort of looked like everyone apart from a few players was like very programmed to play one or two touch no matter yeah. what. And what I thought the major difference was is that the Marshall players, when they needed to, when the situation dictated, you know, they were able to hold on to the ball for a little while longer. Yeah, my, my overall takeaway, and we got into this a little bit with uh, Nunes, is um, that uh, it was a little over, it was for me, this is my personal opinion, overly cautious, very defensive. Um, I get it, defense wins championships, but um you know, as a person who really wants us to showcase the best of the college game, I wish it was just a little more open. That's well, I, that, to see that, a little bit more of an open style. That's me personally. No, no, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Yeah. Who, but I, who I do would. think Marshall were one of the better teams I've seen in recent. Yeah. Better college teams I've seen in recent years. Given yeah, the way they, 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 they yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, but the problem I have as an American player, a college player, is that all eleven of them were from somewhere else. So I, I just think, like, of course. So you know you're basically classically when when we grew up you know I, I played football in the fall and and then eventually soccer but basketball in the winter baseball tennis you know we play so many things here um i remember when i got to martial arts i was with a bunch of guys from other countries they didn't they couldn't throw a punch in the right way because they their hand eye coordination was not what americans were mm-hmm. and the and the instructor was like oh americans learn how to throw a punch really quick uh you know everything and i was like wow that must be from us catching balls all mm-hmm. the time he used to say you throw you throw a ball to an english kid he settles it with his feet not you know we catch it throw mm-hmm. it back like well, what was that about so i think yeah. um you know it's hard if, and i also feel like whenever i watch a college game there is a rush to go forward mm-hmm. and if you look at man, man city just this calm composure in the back playing it playing it playing it playing it and then it gets to the midfield and there's boom they go and that that speaks to your point sam about marshall yeah you're, you're knocking it around first and second time, but not exclusively. There's a time to mm-hmm. sort of, you know, make a movement, a penetrating, you know, uh, try to beat two players and then, you know, then slot it through. So, and I, mm-hmm. and I also feel like nerves is a part of it, which is understandable. You're, yeah. you're just going to default to like the three yard square ball, right. As a safety valve versus trying to do the, the pass through the seams. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's what happens when you're feeling pressure. Yeah. I thought yeah, there, well, oh. 
Go ahead, go Sam. No, I thought it was an interesting quote from one of the Marshall players after uh, an English guy who said, uh, you know, not bad for a little school from West Virginia with a bunch of internationals. Uh, I thought that quote would have maybe made sense if it was like football or baseball or something. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah, surely, yeah, what's the big deal? Yeah, what's yeah, the big deal? I, I don't know. It didn't make a lot of sense. But I think, well, we talked to Noon, uh, Coach Noonan about it. And, you know, one of those guys was playing in the Bundesliga on the bench last year or yeah. something. It was, there's some crazy stuff. And then you, you got to, you know, I, I remember. Che Che Vidal, who played for BU, uh, he was from Venezuela, and he he had played in the, the big tournament down there, you know, against Brazil and and Uruguay, and it's like, and then he comes to Boston University, and you're playing against this guy. I mean, it's like it's it's unfair in a way. It's like mm -hmm. wow, you're dropping down five levels, and, uh, and and yet, I mean, I will say, I mean, Indiana could easily have won this game. I mean, the sure. same kid hit the post on a free kick that he, I mean, he hit the post. He probably should have scored. And then he missed a wide open header right in front of the net after an error by the goalkeeper. So two distinct styles, but easily Indiana could have taken this. Well, I mean, it was the same in the women's final, Sam, because Santa Clara mm -hmm. was, was down and was playing defensively still when they were down one mil and they somehow managed to get the equalizer. Yeah. And then of course the game, you know, turned on penalty kicks. Also, I saw a lot of bad penalty kicks during this tournament, like just <laughs> bad. Well, you talk yeah. about the nerves and uh, so a penalty kick is a nervy affair in the best of situations, <laughs> never mind in, you yeah. know, in the cup. So, uh, so you know, I got, I, Go ahead, Sam. No, I got a couple stats here just to throw at you guys. Um, okay. So, uh, Kevin, you were talking about Marshall's lineup. Um, they actually do have one player, one American player who uh, saw time. Um, <laughs> what's, his what's his name? You are being so critical. <laughs> uh, what's his name? I, I have to find his name, but uh, cancel but I, cancel culture would get out of me. But I'm saying, like, <laughs> generally, the one guy. It was like what you know when in the uh, in my pro days, it was like the the green card holders. We were supposed mm -hmm. to be, you know, we were like, you know, the Americans were like the kid, you know, lived in Argentina till he was 14. And I know he's yeah. an American citizen now, but it's like, okay, but it's, it's a different, it's apples and oranges. So go yeah. Ahead. So, um, but interestingly, the Marshall only used 12 players all game. So that's one sub and they had some in and out. Um, Indiana by <laughs> and, contrast used 14, which doesn't seem like a lot considering. Players? Yeah, yeah. 14 altogether. Yeah. Uh, which that's, I thought that's within was, reason. Uh, I yeah. like that which I thought was interesting. Um, so then just, I was looking at the rosters, just curious at their percentage of foreign players. And uh, do you guys want to take a stab at these? Sure. Uh, so start with um, Indiana. I'm going to say 80%. I'm going to say 80% American. Are we going with percentages or the amount of players? Oh, you can give me either. I'm going to say 80% uh, American. I bet feels, you Indiana had, I bet you they had two foreign players. Feels homegrown. So you guys are both really close. Indiana had one foreign player, one right. of 30. So it's 3.3%. That's why I love IU, man. Uh, Go ahead. What do you, culture, I have the Iowa football team or something. Yeah. What do you think about Pitt? Pitt, I bet you. I'm doing the four teams. Uh, in the so that's four. Jay Vitovich, former Wake Forest coach. I'd um, say 70%. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say six, I'm going to say 65, 35 American Jesus, foreign. Okay, uh, it's sixty percent foreign. Seventeen of twenty-eight listed on their roster are foreign wow. players. Come Big on. French connection yeah. there, okay. um, and there are only two American starters for Pitt in their semifinal game with two American subs. This is a trend, well. boys. I'm telling you, uh, interesting. UNC. Uh, I'd say forty percent. I'm going to go fifty-fifty. 
Okay, UNC is 22.5%, seven of 31 foreign. All right, uh, and I can live with that number. I, I don't then, mind that. Uh, thanks, Archie Bunker. All right. And yeah, then exactly. finally, <laughs> finally, Marshall. What do you guys think about Marshall? 100%. Well, it's got to be 98. Well, didn't we say it was 99? Yeah. Well, that's of, that's of who got in the game. That's of who played. Oh, that kid okay. didn't get in the game. The American okay, so didn't I'm gonna, play. I'm going to say 90, still 90, 85%, something like that. Kev? Uh, I don't think the kid got in the game. I bet she's on the roster. Did he get in? Is he the goalkeeper? No, the, so no. An American You're kid played, started, and played in the game. I'm talking about the whole oh, squad sorry. here. Yeah, I'm still saying eighty percent. Okay, I, I'd say ninety percent. Okay, it's twenty-three of forty-seven. They have forty-seven players listed on their roster, which seems like an mm. awful lot, but that's forty-eight point nine percent foreign. It's yeah. a JV team they got there too. So that's an absurd, they got to have roster limitations. That's ridiculous. That's like a uh, football team. So, do you guys want to take a stab at the women's? Yeah, sure. Uh, Santa Clara. Um, I'm going to say 30% for I'm going to say 80 American, 20 foreign. Okay. So, they had three of 26 players who are foreign, so 11.5%. Uh, I, I can live with that. Florida State. Florida State. Um, I bet you it's pretty close to the same. I'm going to say about uh, 30% foreign. Yeah, right around there. Six of 25, so 24%. Okay. Uh, uh, Archie Bunker can live with that as well. <laughs> Duke? <laughs> Duke's, I'm going to say, is more American. I'm going to say 20% for it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, just one of 26. Wow. Uh, All right, Duke. So 3.8%. And uh, Clemson, the last team. Ooh, the women's team or the men's? The women's final women's. four. No, I'm going to say 30% for it. Um, I, yeah, I'd say 30. The women, yeah. Not a single foreign player. Wow. So I, I was curious because I would have thought that there would have been an uptick in the foreign players well, on well, the, the women's side. Yeah, me too. No, no, I, I wouldn't think that because, the, the look, there's more men playing this game around the world. Mm -hmm. and, you know, look, we've talked about this before. I mean, you talk about Brazil. There was no women's soccer there per se that much not like it is here with title nine and everything else like that so the pool is huge here right but you weren't comparing it to men sam right you were just saying there would be a higher percentage of women generally i i guess i i feel like yeah. the trend would have been for more women to come over here to play college I, soccer I, I, as I women's soccer gets bigger it's getting better world. around the world yeah yeah but, i'm with you but, but still, we have thing, a huge head start. We have a huge head start. Well, I think also, too, Sam, to your point, I feel like there are a lot of cavemen from other parts of the world mm -hmm. that don't look, that don't give women their props in anything. So you would think they sure. would want to leave those systems and go to a culture that is very accepting of women players. That's what I would think. I mean, the other thing the numbers suggest to me, you know, Indiana only had one foreign player. UNC was seven of 31 it seems like the bigger names are able to really lock up the best American players. And then, yeah. you know, a pit, a Marshall that's sort of an outsider. This is sort of a creative way to bring in talent, um, you know, through different routes, I guess. And it's, but, and it's also driven by what the administration wants. If the administration is like, we need this to be successful and you do whatever you need to do and we'll get the players in. Yeah, that kind of opens right. it up. Yeah. So, so anyway. women's Champions League finals, Barcelona crushed Chelsea. Do you follow the Chelsea women's team as much as you do the? Uh, I do. I mean, they won the they won the league this year. They had a very good team, but, but the Barcelona women are better than the Barcelona men. I think they should basically. They don't get enough props. The Barca's men team is just uh, 
you know, they've just faded. They're not going to win the title this year. Are they anymore. bring? Are they bringing in any money, Grail? Is it a positive cash flow? The women's. Game? Well, I know they're not losing the amount of money that the Barca men's team exactly. is. Exactly. They're not financially destitute. Oh my yeah. goodness, Tyra! Yeah. yeah, talk about take a take an accounting class for God's yes. sake over there. Um, I thought some interesting stuff. You know, zero. You know, 2020, 2021, basically. Um, Karen Benzema. I kind of had forgotten about this story, but he was selected for the 2020 squad after a six-year absence. So, what was it? Was personal problems, right? That well, he had a, no. He was part of a sex video scandal uh, with, I think, <laughs> Frank Ribery, and uh, so he. Uh, they basically he was he was exonerated, but they basically said it was kind of like uh, you know it was, it was extortion, right? It was, it was an, yeah, it was an embarrassment for the federation. And and Zidane, his coach at Real Madrid, who obviously the most iconic player in France's uh, history after Platini, uh, really, really well, really reputation. went, but 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 Zidane doesn't have some of the taint that Platini does now. Zidane right. really went to bat for him with um, with Deschamps, the, uh, co- the coach of France. So it'll be interesting because. The interesting dynamic is Benzema has always been very insulting of Olivier Giroud. Because he wasn't on the team. Well, publicly saying, you know, I'm a Formula One race car and he's like a jalopy or whatever his terminology was, but they're now going to be on the same team and they play the same position. So that should be interesting. Talk about a truly American term, jalopy. I don't know know where that came from. That was like out of of an episode of Mr. Magoo. Yeah, it was like Happy Days. Yeah, Richie (laughs) Cunningham. I think so, it was uh, a, a go-kart is what I think he actually. Oh, that's right. Thank you. Sam, and it was, uh, I think it was Matthew Valbuena was the player involved in the, the scandal. Oh, not, okay. Not Sam, really thank you for clarifying, Sam. Sam but it was, was a sex tape yes, scandal or yeah. something. They had sex with the same uh, prostitute or whatever. I, yeah. Oh, anyway, sex. I mean, Benzema deserves it, certainly. The guy's one of the best strikers in the world. Yeah, but you know, it's almost like uh, Hope Solo where you say like, yeah, great keeper, but at what cost sometimes you're saying inappropriate things, you're drunk, you know, crack, you know, getting pulled over, <laughs> you know, saying stupid things after a while. Like, you're a distraction to the team. Yeah. You are, you know, it's not all about you all the time. So uh, maybe... Maybe uh, you know Ben's the other thing more is, of a pass than hope solo, frankly. <laughs> well, but you get older and some yeah. you start to be a little wiser. So, uh, so I, I thought this was interesting. The Athletics twenty twenty one season awards. Um, see what you guys think of the players here. Uh, player of the season, Ruben Diaz of Man City for the Premier wow. League. Yeah, yeah. Hard, hard to argue. I mean, he was also just voted the Football Writers Association Player of the Year, and he to me totally changed Man City basically. I love the fact when defenders get some, some props. So that's, uh, that's great. So uh, Sam, you agree with that one? Do you watch enough of the EPL to be able to weigh in? Not close. All right. Uh, Manager David Moyes at West Ham. Yeah. You know, they're going to end up finishing sixth or seventh. I mean, that's, that's really good for the hammers. Good for him. That him or Brendan Rogers, you know, even though. Yeah. Go either way. Uh, The goal of the year, Lamella. The well, the Rabona. I don't know. I thought that was the that was probably the most difficult goal, but uh, I think that could be debatable. I thought there were some other terrific. That's one. Goals. You look great, or you're going to look like an idiot. Yeah. Uh, Bundesliga Player of the Year, obviously Lewandowski. We uh, all agree. The Terminator. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is La the Liga. one. The, ne- the next one is the one I want to hear from Sam about. Well, Serie A, Player of the Year, Romelu Lukaku, which is great for him. I mean, Man United were in a bad place and they treated him not well and the fans didn't treat him well. This is some sort of vindication for him, don't you think, Sam? Yeah, uh, been fantastic. And it's not only in the athletic where he's been getting these accolades. Um, Pretty much everyone is unanimously 
behind him as a MVP of the season. Does he stay, and Sam, or does he go? I think he'll stay. I mean, Inter, this is stuff beyond my comprehension, but they're doing some tricky financial stuff right now to try to make sure they have enough money to basically maintain this roster that they've put together. But he, he was just fantastic all season, and he's uh, he's become kind of a larger-than-life figure in Italy and in Milan, and um, he's got this really funny kind of feud going with uh, Ibrahimovic and it's brought, it's brought a lot of like fun, good focus back to back to Serie A, uh, which which needs the exposure. Uh, the only guy I would point out who had a really good year, and he's much younger, but Dusan Vlaovic, who plays for Fiorentina, had 21 goals this year after basically not scoring in the first half of the season. He had such a slow start. He really came on strong. I, you know, I don't think you could put him at the level of Lukaku, but he had a really impressive second half. How, how about Ericsson, Sam? Does he is is he in the future plans? Uh, he really came on pretty strong down okay. the stretch. Uh, he was playing regularly, had was involved in some pretty big moments. Um, that said, considering the amount of money that you know mm. he ties up contract wise, it wouldn't be unthinkable to me if they they moved him on because they do have a lot of good good midfielders. Mm-hmm. All right, then La Liga Player of the Year, Casemiro. Yeah, yeah. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I've seen him play a few times. I, I you know, I, I don't know enough about him. Uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of other high-profile players play more than he has, but obviously he's got a great reputation, so. Yeah. And then that last one, Grail, you want to take that one on? Because I know you, you included that on the list. Well, Fran Kirby Chelsea, and, and Kerr. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea has two really good players, Kirby and Kerr, so it could have gone to one or the other, but she's a really solid player, so. Right, yeah, good and look at a lot of our American players are heading over there. So who am I to complain about? Well, and then some are coming there? back too. I think Sam Mewis is coming back and somebody else is actually coming back to the NWSL. Well, it's really? nice to have places to play. It yes. Really is. It really yeah. is. And to have some, um, some choices. This is yes. nice. The game's progressing. All right, guys, let's take a break. And when we come back, the head coach of the Clemson Tigers, Mike Noonan, will be our guest. You're listening to Over the Ball. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, longtime friend. Uh, he's the head coach of the Clemson Tigers, perennial favorites within the NCAA. Uh, I have known this guy for a long time. Started his coaching career at Wheaton College, then at the University of New Hampshire, then Brown, then Clemson. Brown, one of my safety schools, of course. Clemson, I probably couldn't get in there either, but uh, he was the 2015 NCAA Coach of the Year. Uh, boy, what else? I mean, this year, I got to talk to you about this. Mike Noon. Welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, we're a longtime friends, so I'm just going to skip a lot of the accolades that you had. You have put a ton of players in the pros coming out of Clemson. And this year kind of hit me as odd because, you know, I'm always pulling for you. We want to all the guys that we played with get together when you're in the NCAA, you know, uh, finals or quarterfinals. And it's a chance for everybody to catch up and, and talk to each other. But this year was interesting because you put three first round picks into into the pros and a homegrown player as well in the fall season. So you didn't have them for the spring season, did you? No, uh, unfortunately. Well, fortunately, because they've moved on into a, a place where they're, uh, you know, the lifelong ambition was to be professional soccer players. They got that opportunity. We had, I think the second, the third, and 
I think the 21st pick in the draft. And then Grayson Barber signed a homegrown contract with Kansas city. So they're all uh, doing what they love to do and getting paid to do it. And we didn't have them this spring. Yeah, you, you're turning into the John Calipari of uh, of soccer, uh, like he is at Kentucky. I mean, these players were they underclassmen? Were they were they upperclassmen? Uh, a mixture of both. A mixture. Yeah. Of both. And and that's the thing that we are proud of, Flinney, is that it's not one and done here. I mean, Phil Mayaka was the second pick. He was here for a couple of years. Yeah. But you know, Kamari Smith had his degree. Justin Malou's graduated. Kamari's graduated. Most of our guys who have gone on to play professionally have gotten their degree or they're very close to getting their degree. Well, that's, you know, that's one of the things uh, about all the programs that you've been a part of that I have noticed is there's a, uh, a big stress on, you know, the academics and also about networking with alumni and how you're part of the whole, uh, you know, the system. Um, I, I remember it when you were at Brown and uh, the internships and the things that the, the kids did. So I think, you know, the modern day coach is, is interesting, especially soccer because uh, not everybody goes pros, obviously. And these kids have to have a, a degree that you want them to get a degree. You want them to get a job after soccer when there's air out of the ball. So do you get, is that your personal philosophy or you just feel like that's what you should be doing? Cause I, I think like I mentioned, John Calipari, he doesn't feel like he needs to educate um, players. He feels like I'm, I'm a coach, a soccer, a basketball coach and, and that's it. But you seem to, uh, is it soccer or is it, or is it your coaching philosophy? No, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm an educator in short pants. Uh, and, and education is important. And, you know, one of the great ones, uh, I didn't, I just, this popped back in my mind, who just walked a week and a half ago was a Gucci and Ewu from Clemson. So Gooch, after a phenomenal professional career, he left Absolutely. here after two years. Um, he had his whole family in town and uh, he actually graduated, uh, fulfilled his requirements in December, but he, you know, had promised his parents that he was going to come to Clemson and do the walk. And he did that uh, walk across the stage just past uh, two weeks ago. So but, no, it's, a, it's a big, it's a big part of our program and, and any program I've been involved in academics and, and the balance of academics and athletics and, and what it can teach you is, uh, is something that's unique to the United States and unique to college soccer. Right. So, uh, you know, so an, an interesting year, we, we were lucky you lost to Marshall, which was a, not a surprise because I mean they they played quite well and they beat Georgetown as well uh, in the NCAA so they they beat some good teams but um, we were talking about before uh, you got on that pretty much an all foreign makeup all maybe I don't know most of the players were all foreigners so I think for me Noons looking back on when we were playing um, I was playing D one you guys were all playing D three I remember that distinctly um, I remember Clemson had all foreign players. Uh, and then it went to uh, no foreign players, sort of the Bruce Murray sort of time. And then you've come in and you have this sort of uh, this mixture of some foreign players and then uh, mostly American players. Is this a trend now in college soccer that we're going back to full foreign teams? Well, I think in some regards, you know, it is cyclical. Um, I think with the landscape and what's happening domestically, uh, we are going to, you're going to be seeing some of these trends. What happens to international players earlier is they get told um, whether they're going to get a contract or not at 18, which is the prime age for coming to college. Right. Um, at 17 or 18 now, uh, in the landscape here in the United States, 
uh, our professional teams and organizations now are telling the kids that they have a choice. They should either play pro or go to college. And, and I, I don't agree with that. Uh, I think the developmental piece of, of college soccer is, as the whole person and player is, is much healthier. And, and, you know, you're looking at places now, um, you know, Daryl DK did not play uh, in a developmental academy or for an MLS club, right? He's worth $20 million now. Where did he develop? The University of Virginia, right? right. Uh, you know, in, in uh, Jack Harrison, who's playing for Leeds, right? Yeah. He was in prep school in the United States, developed at Wake Forest, and then, you know, was drafted, went to the MLS for a couple of years, and now he's at Leeds. Well, you know, the, the there's so much in terms of what happens to a player between the ages of 18 and 22 developmentally, not just soccer-wise, that can happen in the construct of what we have here in college. That unfortunately, I'm afraid too many domestic kids are missing out on. And the international kids are recognizing they can still do what they want to do and love to do, but they can also get an education. And there's only one place to do that. And that's here in the United States. The United States, right. So it's just our strength that we've seen. Uh, so, all right. So you were an All-American at Middlebury College, a standout there. Before uh, before you got there, there was another standout, not an All-American, but his name was Grail Hallett in the midfield. Uh, was there a was there a problem with too many big heads when uh, when that uh, when you got to the campus there and playing for Ron McKeechan? Yeah, what was his name? Grail Hallett, I think. They, <laughs> Grant he was, Howard. He was he was an All American in the Mickey Rooney League. Um, but it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you, were you guys there at the same time? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Grell was my mentor. Oh God, help you, man. Grell, was a really really good player. As a matter of fact, I went to Middlebury after watching Grell play. He was a year ahead of me and watching him play, and I was like, damn, they got good players here at Division Three too. We can probably beat the Division One teams that we play, like UMass. Well, sometimes you wish we did. I don't remember that at all. Not when I was there. I'll tell you that. Because you were in a fog the whole time. (laughs) I'm still in a fog, dude. I've never left it. Um, Foghorn goes off in my head constantly. Well, I remember it was always funny because we would scrimmage Middlebury in the beginning of the year. And, you know, it would always be a battle. It would be preseason. So I think you were, I think, and then we beat UConn that one year and they were national champions the year before. And you're like, and then we beat you in the preseason game. So technically, we could beat the national champions. I'm like, all right, I don't quite agree with your math. But, you know, Ron McKeachin's teams were always well coached. You guys are always motivated. And um, it was always a tough game. I mean, that's the beauty of soccer, right, guys? I mean, you're watching Liverpool play yesterday, you know, against Burnley. And it's a game, man. It's a game. Uh, it's such a uh, fine line that, that kind of, you know, who wins and who goes to the top of the table and, and who goes to the bottom. So um, this game we know and love, teams that you're, you know, that uh, are coached better noons, um, better players, sometimes they, they don't win. It's the way this game works. Uh, Grail, why don't you jump in there and try to defend yeah. yourself? Well, Nunes, thanks for the kind words. Um, since we're complimenting one another, uh, I will say that uh, Nunes is the best player I got to play with at Middlebury, and uh, it, was, it was a pleasure. Um, so I don't want to put you on the defensive immediately, Nunes, but uh, it just seems like every time I watch the College Cup, um, the end result is either nil all or one nil. And I'm just curious from your perspective, if that's driven by 
just defensive tactics, if it's nerves or if it's a little bit of both? Yeah, I think, you know, I think any one game championship, uh, you're going to see more of a defensive battle. And I don't care which sport it is, but obviously in, in, uh, in, in our sport, you know, the scoreline is very similar to what you're saying. And I think one of the reasons is, is because mistakes are magnified, right? So what coaches do and what players do uh, instinctively is they don't want to make a mistake, right? So they organize their teams as to how not to lose first and foremost, and then think about how we can attack and play a team. Right. I saw the, uh, I saw I was, I was fortunate enough to watch the, um, the championship promotion final between Aston Villa and Fulham a couple of years ago. And the, the, the people will be name, nameless, but I got to see a training session of one of the teams uh, before the game. Uh, and it was focused on stopping the other team. Right. Not how their team was going to mm-hmm. win the game. And I think that, and that was first and foremost, winning the game and the attacking piece was addressed, but it wasn't as heavily as defending and stopping the other team. So I think that's one of the reasons. So, so just as a quick follow-up on that, um, the unfortunate part of that for me, we all love college soccer, obviously, is that on the biggest stage, which when the most eyeballs are watching our beloved college sport, it just seems so unfortunate to me that as a fan, we're not putting our best foot forward. And again, you're not there as a coach to entertain me, the viewer, but I just think it would do so much for the game is in the most visible situations, we put the best product on display. Well, I think that we, I'll be honest with you. I think we did in both the women's and the men's game. I mean, the, the, the better playing team on the day in the women's game didn't win. Right. That happens, as Flinny just said, it happens all the time in our sport. Our sport's mm-hmm. the only sport. That's why it's such a cruel mistress. Is you, you, you can play great, right? And in a basketball game, you win by 15. In our game, you lose by one. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. And that happens all the time. I mean, you, Flinny said that we lost to Marshall. We didn't lose to Marshall. We tied and didn't advance, right? Mm-hmm. By a, a goalkeeper's fingertip, saving a penalty that hits the inside of the post that half the time goes in and half the time goes out. It didn't go in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the Marshall uh, final and what a great story Marshall was too, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, what a phenomenal story and their fans and everything around it. Right. And it, they didn't just beat Clemson, the number one seed in the tournament. Then they beat the defending national champion, Georgetown. Then they beat the royalty of the University of North Carolina in men's soccer and their national championships and nine-time national champion Indiana. What a run. What a run. But if you watch the game, they were an entertaining team, right? And Indiana was a good defensive, well-organized team. And Marshall wasn't going to score a lot of goals, but they kept the ball. They had flair in their midfield. They had, they had guys who uh, have played at a very experienced level. They're holding midfielder played for Bayer Leverkusen, was on the bench for Bayer Leverkusen in the Europa League games, right? Wow. <laughs> so the talent level in college soccer is pretty high right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember the when you were in the NCAA finals against Stanford, your team played so creatively in the midfield. They controlled the, the play, and then you got countered on. 
and yeah. Stanford scored a goal and, and, um, and that was it. it was, but, you know, I was watching you admit you had most of the possession and I'm just like, this game is just heartbreaking sometimes. I also feel like Noons, the NCAA tournament is, is really an underutilized thing. I mean, there should be, the finals should be, have a lot of people there. Um, you know, I think we were in Kansas City when we saw you play against Stanford that one year in the finals, but there was no one in the stands. And I'm like saying, this is one of the best college soccer games I've ever seen. And, and you know, young people should be there watching this. Uh, how can we get more people into this tournament? Is it is the NCAA a problem or or what? No, that, that dates back. And that was an anomaly, to be honest with you. Funny. I just got the television ratings back from ESPN because I sit mm-hmm. on the national committee uh, for this past championship. And yeah. that records for both men and women. So it's coming. They, they the governor of the state of North Carolina opened up to 50% capacity. Um, the stadium we were in, and at first there were only supposed to be a thousand people there. And so they got 5,000 tickets two days before the final and the place was sold out. And the atmosphere nice. was phenomenal mm-hmm. for Good. all four schools that were involved. Right. And you're talking about Santa Clara from the West coast, Florida, you know, West Virginia, and obviously Indiana. So it's coming. Uh, and, you know, we led the, in a COVID year where nobody could have anybody there. Of course, down here in South Carolina, we were allowed to have 1500 people at a game and we sold out pretty much every game and led the nation in attendance. So soccer is, and college soccer is, is getting uh, their foothold in the landscape of sports in America right now. So that's exciting. Yeah, you know, I think because there's more soccer on television as well, but whether the, the EPL or the Bundesliga and, and all that. So, Sam, do you want to? Yeah, uh, building off that, Mike, I'm curious what you, how much you attribute those increase in rankings to the fact that you were playing in the spring. Uh, and I also just wanted to check in on the split season progression and how that's all going. Yeah, um, I definitely think it has a lot to do with the, 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 ra- the ratings uh, because in December you're uh, competing for with football, right? In December on all the platforms, whether it's, you know, regular uh, linear television uh, or you're, you're, you're digitally, it, it, there's, there's so much football going on um, and basketball has started uh, in the springtime. Uh, this, this championship was placed at a place just before the softball and baseball tournaments have started. Uh, the lacrosse tournament had just started. So there's a place for it. Um, okay. So I think that was one of the reasons for sure uh, that the ratings were higher. The weather was fantastic all week in Cary. I mean, the fields were perfect. Um, so from that standpoint, I think it was, uh, it was great. Uh, the 21st century model right now is uh, hopefully going to be uh, voted on in January. Uh, and there are some challenges that COVID provided and, and also some opportunities like with anything that's, that's going to change COVID. Uh, we, we played a, it wasn't re- it was a COVID season, not a 21st century model because of the, the start time of when we started playing in the spring teams were in February, they were indoors, some of the games, the Midwest the weather wasn't great. We wouldn't start those games until March when everybody can get out outdoors. The challenge was it wasn't just one sport going to a split season. Some campuses had five sports, right? Field hockey, women's soccer, men's soccer, uh, volleyball, all going on at the same time. So it stretched the resources, particularly the human resources, athletic trainers, fields, um, administrators to, to put the games on. 
So that's going to be a challenge because people are going to go, oh, my God, they're so tired. We can't put all of our sports on in the same semester. Well, we need to re-educate the, the, uh, uh, the campuses now that is just for men's soccer. It would only be one sport that moves forward. And the benefits are for the student athlete. Right. And, and the health and welfare of the student athlete. And that was very, very clear before COVID because we had the votes to pass it. Yeah, you guys have done so much hard work, so much leg work. It's always, you know, it's always something. I always think back like the 94 World Cup. Like I was so excited about the World Cup being here. And then they have the big opening game. And then OJ jumps in his Bronco. And it's like, you know, it's like it's, like, it's always something. It's like a world conspiracy against us here in the United States. So, Grail, you want to follow up? Yeah, yeah. So, Noons, on a related topic, since the 2020-21 season was just so bizarre for all sports, frankly, and, and soccer included, you know, what, what were some of the positives that came out of an otherwise challenging season in terms of your team dynamic? The unexpected things were like, wow, this actually ended up being something that really helped us. Well, the, the positive was we were, we were able to play and we were able to get a season in. And, and what helps you is the resilience of, of these young people uh, in all sports across uh, college and, and even professionally. I think that that's the real positive that, that no matter what, if you stay positive and believe and listen to people and these young people in terms of what it is that they do want to do, uh, what it is they do enjoy and what they're willing to give up in order to do it because the lifestyle of the college athlete was dramatically different. I'm, I'm on individual uh, end of year meeting calls right now. And that's a, a positive for COVID, right? Because we ended so abruptly, then everybody we were done with exams, everybody went home, right? But because of Zoom, I'm doing face-to-face -face meetings with all my players right now, which we wouldn't have had the opportunity to do or thought of doing uh, in the past. But again, going back to the sacrifices that the players made, the coaches made, the families made, uh, the isolation, uh, led in some regards to a collective bond, so to speak, and a resiliency uh, in, in the young men that at least I saw and in the young ladies that were here at Clemson. So they deserve a lot of credit, but it, everybody deserves credit. The conferences, uh, the athletic administrations, uh, the people who realize that in an unhealthy time, the way you keep people healthy is trying to provide them with something that they really love to do. And and, and, and none of us take anything for granted anymore. It's it's absolutely. interesting. Yeah. And these poor players, I, you know, we talked the last time you were on coach, we talked about, you know, our whole lives were, you know, just, you know, get your GPA up and play college soccer. It was our whole lives. And, and these poor guys and women, they, they just, uh, you know, a two year chunk taken out of it. It's like, it's horrible. And I think, you know, talking to Fran O'Leary at UMass and a, and a bunch of Sasha, you guys have really worked hard, but I think you probably discovered a lot about your players. You discovered a lot about yourself and about how much this game means to all of us. No question. No question. And, and, and again, I, I said earlier, I'm an educator in short pants, but you know, in order to do what we do, you have to have a passion for what you do. And mm -hmm. I've felt this year more than ever, you just said it funny that you can't take it for granted at all. And that you gotta, you you have to love it like nothing else. And right. I've never worked a day in my life, right? I, I've never worked a day in my life. So and you think news? Do you think that will carry over in like a really positive way? Like if you were able to get through this, 
just imagine how great it can be when you don't have all these obstacles. Right. Well, the rear view mirror is a lot smaller than the windshield. Yeah. Right. You know that, Grail. Mm -hmm. and, and, but you have a rear view mirror, right, to make sure you remember the things that have happened in the past. And we'll always refer to the year of the pandemic uh, and how we were able to do things when we're tested looking through the windshield mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah, so I, I, ho I hope this, this, the groundswell that is soccer in this country, uh, this untapped market, the numbers that have gone up with like ESPN and everything else. And that's even on streaming services sometimes, which are difficult to get. Uh, I hope the NCAA looks at this as a real potential winner for, for them. Uh, all the kids that participate in the game at a lower level, uh, the health and education um, uh, benefits that you've talked about with the split season. So I, I think it's one thing holding the game back. I hope it moves forward because it would really, you know, you, you watch those games in Cary, North Carolina. We used to watch them in November and they were, it was a little warmer, but boy, in the spring, it's just fantastic. It really is. And like, you're, it's, again, you guys always reiterate it's best for the players, physical and educational well-being. And um, so hopefully they see the light with that. Uh, Sam, you want to ask Nunes another one? Yeah, um, I can't resist the opportunity to throw a few ideas your way, Mike. Um, and you'll probably shut me down, but that's fine. That's happened before. This uh, is Sam's. This is Sam's mo. He he dreams up at least really crazy scenarios. Space but a lot of them are good. Space yes. travel for soccer. So, soccer. Soccer on the moon. <laughs> my first one is that with the sort of overall global trend of soccer being more about pressing high, fast pace, more and more games, uh, teams with bigger and bigger rosters. Um, is there any scenario you can envision where, and I know you're really working to sort of align the American college game with the rest of the world. Is there any scenario you can envision where the global game sort of adapts more to the NCAA and American style in terms of more substitutions? Does that exist I, on any realm? I think it's in discussion uh, overseas for sure. And I think the mm -hmm. pandemic had, did that because they had the shorter preseasons and they allowed more substitutions. And, and so it has been discussed in, in a number of leagues overseas. Uh, I don't think you're going to see dramatic re-entry, but more substitutions, I think you may see in the future, Sam, for sure. Okay. So what about the, somewhere what, in the middle. Yeah. yeah. And what about the concussion protocols? Has that changed at all in college? No, I mean, college, college is pretty stringent. Right. And they have great testing uh, protocols done. I think, again, one of the benefits and they're not always benefits of having football on your campus. Right. Yeah. Uh, so our, our, our testing and our protocols are very, very stringent and, and you just live with them. I mean, those are, those are the types of things you just don't even ask questions. <laughs> Trainer says no, it's no. Right, right. Well, especially on a college level, obviously, you know, and it just it changes when it goes to the pros. As a, you know, you bring up something interesting. It seems like Clemson is a perfect model for football uh, and soccer to coexist. Um, you know, it, it really seems like a real simpatico relationship there. It's not always the case on a lot of college campuses. Um, talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's an incredible uh, it, just just walking around campus here at Clemson, it's not just football, but obviously football is the, you know, is is the top of the, the top of the heap, but just athletics in general and it being embraced in such a great educational environment. But football, 
we have a great relationship, as you may know. Tanner Testman, who plays for SC Dallas, he's basically Dabo Sweeney's godson, right? And he was yeah. supposed to come to Clemson and kick and play soccer for us. And and so that's the fifth pro that we have signed before this mm. season, throughout this season. Oh, wow. And uh, so we've got a great relationship. Uh, Tanner uh, Tanner's dad is is Dabo's best friend for life ever since mm-hmm. now works here uh, for Dabo for running his foundation, but it's not just that our athletes interact. Um, it, it's not in many situations. We've all been in as soccer players. Uh, you get jealous of what others have. And yeah. even though we have phenomenal facilities for both football and soccer, um, there's no jealousy. It, everybody just wants to see the Tigers win and, and, and everybody right now, our golf team just qualified for the NCAA uh, finals. Our women's softball team took off yesterday to go. Uh, they're two years old. The program's two years old and they only got to play like six games the first year and they won the ACC regular season and they're on the way to the first NCAA tournament. Right. Great. So it's, it's just a great place to be uh, and, and to be able to compete and be able to, to do what we love every day. Good stuff. Sam, did you have one more question? For yeah. Uh, my, my last idea, Mike, and I'm very prepared for a short answer. Um, we started, we started the show or the interview talking a little bit about, you know, Middlebury playing UMass back in the day. Uh, so I, I have this dream of a open college cup tournament uh, for teams from all divisions. Uh, I know that's very far fetched, but is that something you could ever see happening in the future? Uh, no. Right. You, you know, uh, Mike, I just want to say, I think, I think Sam ate some mushrooms before he jumped on the show here today. So, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, Very fair question. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Gonna, I'm kidding. Yeah. yeah. No, no, that sounds interesting. But think about how many colleges there are. I yeah. mean, it would be endless. I don't know. It would well, be Middlebury, Middlebury would topple everybody. Come yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. They're close to 400 Division three colleges, you know, and, and there are 205 or 204 Division one playing schools plus all the D2s. It would be hard. But, you know, I do think, you know, in our in our model that we have right now, you do see uh, some cross section of division ones and twos playing and and twos and threes playing. And and to be honest, the, the main difference uh, that we see is not necessarily the technical ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just generally it's the physical ability is the bigger, faster, stronger at the division one level for everybody but Flinny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I always laugh, guys, because when I was at UMass, we would play Southern Connecticut with Bob DeCraney and the great Bob DeCraney and the coach. We'd be either tie or lose because they had a phenomenal team. They were division two. We'd go up in the rankings. Division one was like, oh, you only lost to Southern by one goal. So, uh, yeah, I mean, right, hey, we'll hey, Nunes, how many times did we beat Dartmouth and UVM? We toppled the big boys all oh. the time. Dartmouth, oh, yeah. Boston Since, College, Boston University. We, we took them all down, Grill. Oh, yeah. You guys, just, <laughs> just Middlebury. Just it's dominating. It's like Duke and UNC. All right. So, look, news. We I almost didn't want to have you on. You know why? Because I said, I have seen you after a loss. And I said, this boy does not take losing very easily, man. It takes you a couple of days to shake it off. So, uh, it seems like. You never get over losing, but uh, you seem like you're you're in a better place than if we had called you last week. I'll tell you well, that. Well, funny, funny. Again, I have to remind you, we didn't lose. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> there we go. I I know. Penalties. <laughs> okay. That's see, what I, see what I mean, guys? See what I mean? Yeah. It's not, it's not going look, away. This, look, Nunes has been in deep therapy. This is very important that he's working through this. Come on. Exactly. Yeah, I'll, we're, also, we're, I'll also remind you that we won the ACC this year, have a big trophy for that. We won the division in the spring. We won the play-in game for the number one seed. I have 
22 guys out of 28 on the honor roll. I have 11 4.0 students. Uh, I win every day with this group. So oh, there you go. About it. Look at that, man. That's a bumper <laughs> sticker. He just, I win every day with this group. Well, and that's why I'm running for Congress. Thank you. <laughs> you have certainly separated me. There's no way I would have been able to make it at Clemson. I'll tell you that right now. So all right, well, Coach Noonan of the Clemson Tigers, we appreciate you so much joining us on Over the Ball. Uh, I hope to see you back east. Uh, I'm living in the West Coast now, noon, so we gotta we gotta put the boys together sometime uh, back east. And I know I'll probably ask you a question in August, uh, and you'll say we didn't lose Flinny. It was a finger tip in a post. <laughs> so uh, that's why you're a winner, noons, because you don't take losing very easily. Uh, we we appreciate you joining us on OTB, pal. All right, thanks, guys. Always great to see you. Thanks for having me. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. Always great uh, getting caught up with Coach Mike Noonan at the Clemson Tigers. He's, uh, you can tell he's disappointed that he didn't win the national championship this year, but uh, boy, man, what did he say? An educator in, in short pants, I think. Uh, Noonan has a lot of really good expressions, by the way. I, I, I thought like he might just have, have had a checklist in front of him. The windshield, Look, the windshield, and the what was I got to remember that one? It was, there was a windshield. Oh, the windshield is the rear window, rear view mirror, and windshield. Yes. Look, uh, you know, I was hanging out with uh, Coach Noonan last summer a little bit with a bunch of former players, or you know, up at a uh, uh, place up in Vermont, and he was reading these books all about, uh, you know, coaching and who's a winner, and you know, all these like these uh, like basically business. Uh, and educational books, uh, right in his off time, in his off season. Yeah. The one thing I can say about Coach Noonan is he it, he lives and breathes this stuff, and he does not. He loves soccer like we do, but he loves uh, educating these kids, and he loves to see them not only get their degrees. How many got eleven guys in the honor roll or something? He yeah. said, or, you know, and then the amount of players he's put in the pros. I actually think it is a great example of what this game can be on an even grander scale here in the United States. If you're a, you know, uh, what's his name? The, the kid who's playing for, uh, is it Leeds? Now I'm just blanking. I was Harrison. Yeah. You know, his mother really Jack recognized Harrison. the ability of going to America where you get an education and you can play ball still. And uh, look, look what's happened. It's the best of both worlds. So yeah, the, the NCAA, the other, the other the NCAA needs just, to embrace it, you know? Yeah. The other thing I'll just uh, say about Nunes as a former teammate is he's just, one of the smartest players I've ever played with, you know, so yeah. his ability to read the game and then kind of pass that along to the players that play for him. Is well, really he played the old classic sweeper, didn't he? And, and uh, I think, what was he an all American, like two or three years? I think yeah. Yeah. He, but just to, again, from that position, being able to read the game and kind of control the game from the back, which is a real gift. Right. Yeah. Right. So I played in the back with him in the indoor league. I think when I played at Fort Wayne, yeah. He was there. And uh, I always mention this. I mentioned Mike Noonan. I mentioned Nick O'Shea. These guys were, they read the game. I, I would react. They would, they would read it and break it down and then tell me at halftime what I was doing wrong and what we needed to do to sort of fix it as my teammates, you know, in the back line. So uh, mm -hmm. coaches are born, man. Coaches are born. Yeah. So uh, I want to ask you this, Grail. La Liga, they're leaving uh, being sports, headed to ESPN. What do you make of that? Yes. So uh, it happened about a week ago. And um, I reached out to our good friend, Eric Krakauer, who's obviously a uh, a commentator and analyst for BN and uh, he's got to be a hire. He's got yeah. So to anyway, we're we're plugging him. We love Eric Krakauer, ESPN. If you're listening, this guy's got to be first on your list. And then of course, what happens to Ray Hudson? Because he is so uh, associated with La, La Liga, 
on BN with his commentary, especially in Barcelona matches and Messi and stuff. So it'll be interesting. I, I mean, uh, the overall story is just really interesting because you've got Serie A going to CBS, La Liga going to ESPN, Champions League has already gone to CBS. You have a lot of major leagues. And then, of course, at the end of next season, the NBC contract is up with Premier League. So where does that go? Does that stay? Just a lot of stuff in flux and a lot of, you know, how do fans adjust to all of this? Because it's a big upheaval in terms of the coverage. Well, look, it's getting harder and harder to find where the games are. I mean, you gotta, you have to, you have to subscribe to be in sports. Then you talk about the, you know, Paramount plus and ESPN plus ESPN three, all this stuff. You, you gotta really, you need a a decoder ring from your, uh, your oval team to figure out, you know, where, (laughs) where you're going to watch. That's a reference that will score really high with the 75 plus part of our audience. (laughs) No, that's from a Christmas story, which is a wonderful. Oval (laughs) team. You know what would be a good business idea? So, you know, I've thrown out a couple ideas, got them shut down already, but some, some service that you tell exactly what games you want to watch and they manage everything for you and cut it off at the right time, et cetera. And, so you don't just end up buying 10 subscriptions you forget about. We may yeah, I want to watch soccer, not Bambi. Yeah. yeah, we may yeah. be moving in that direction where it's all about the game and it's not about the platform that the game's on and then everybody gets a piece of the action. So, Hey, and one more article, uh, guys. Uh, Sam, this just reminded me of you, uh, what you've been talking about with the fans. How much control do fans have? Uh, do they matter? You know, this whole Super League sort of exposed it. It's like, oh no, some of these people are just in it for money. They don't care about the game so much. They just want to make as much money as possible. Uh, and the fans aren't heard. Uh, the Columbus Crew fans have convinced their owners not to change the name of the club uh, to Columbus SC. What, what do you what do you make of that? Yeah, I'm all for it. I mean, uh, to me, these are peripheral things that like really don't mean anything i mean i know you guys feel differently about this but it's like when people complain about the clock ticking down in college soccer like it looks weird and it's different but it does not affect what's going on on the field at all so i i don't know why you know people have to be going after these european names trying to make it sound different and everything and uh yeah but yes i'm also very happy that they listen to the fans yeah well i disagree with that point in the sense uh not so much the clock it's the the clock goes up in soccer yeah. and this i hate how america does that sometimes but what, but, but what, what does but, it change about well what game? it changes is it just listen to me it, the more than that is the official time is kept on the field and that's not that doesn't happen in college soccer either right. and we all know the player mm-hmm. who milks it at the end of a game to either when he's hurt or pretending he's hurt or needs a breather where mm. that's why you keep the the you know, hey guys, you can flop and fall all you want, but the game's going to go on. I'm going to add up all those minutes that yeah. you sat there, not concise minutes, but, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to call it when you're on a break. I'm going to call it when the ball's played out or, you know, you got to defend till the end of the game. And those of us who have played the game know that's pretty, that's a real big part of the game. There's no exact time when the game's over. It's sort of like, mm. you know, it's a, a sort of organic and people yeah. just cannot, if you haven't played the game, you can't see why that 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 makes any sense. I don't like the countdown. It seems it's always seemed hokey to me, and it seems like a pep rally or something. It's just like not, 10, 9, 8. I mean, right. it's like forget yes. it. We don't need to do this. Let's just have the ref blow the whistle when the game is over, please. Right, and the, well, yeah. again, the fact of saying like, yeah, if you're on a break on a counter, uh, they're not going to call it at that right. point. It, it's you got to you got to defend one more time. That's all. Uh, and the referee has it. So uh, well, there was a famous ref just quickly in England who blew the whistle as the ball was in the air on a corner kick. 
the, the, the corner kick was taken and this ref who was, I, I can't remember his name. I'll have to check blew the whistle as the balls in midair. Never seen that ever. Uh, but yeah, if you're in college crazy. and the, and the, and the clock's counting down, yep. um, you know, I know we beat UVM and it, it was a clock count Like, just like you said, like a nine, I, yeah. I took a corner kick and one of the players headed it in and we won. It was their homecoming too. It was wonderful. So maybe I do like the clock counting down. <laughs> hey, so uh, Sam, what do you got for games this week? Uh, yeah, last uh, last match day of the Serie A. The there's six games at 2:45 on Sunday on ESPN Plus. Three of them that really matter for the Champions League places. There's Atalanta, Milan, Bologna, Juve, and Napoli, Verona. Uh, Atalanta, uh, sorry, Atalanta's already in Champions League. Milan and Napoli are a point ahead of Juventus. So as long as they win, they're okay. But um, if they do not and Juve win, then they'll be, you know, a potential flip flop. All right, Grail, what are you watching? Yeah, it's the final Sunday of the season and big implications for top four. So right now you got Chelsea in third. You wouldn't you be referring to the Premier League, would you? Yeah, well, no, you got Chelsea in third, you got Liverpool in fourth, and you got Leicester kind of on the outside looking in. And just it, it, Aston Villa plays Chelsea, Leicester plays Spurs, and Liverpool plays Crystal Palace, who has broken their hearts before. But I'm, I'm going to say that Leicester ends up being the odd team out. I think they end up in fifth Liverpool and Chelsea end up in the top four. I think there's an emotional element to that uh, Liverpool game as well with Hodgson leaving the players are going to play hard for him. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, he's beloved, but then also I just feel like, uh, I feel like that whole Allison episode with Liverpool has given them a lot of momentum. I felt that, but they looked yeah. a little shaky in the back against Burnley, you know, on the counter. Well, they so still that- Got the results. So. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. that's what counts. But I mean, they blow so many opportunities. Yeah. Uh, you know, the guys, you could just tell they're in their heads a little bit. I thought they'd come out even stronger after the Allison thing because it seemed like fate at that point. It's like yeah. fate was on Liverpool's side. So, uh, but what a, you know, look, what a, what a great season. And soccer has sort of kept us sane during this whole quarantine thing. We're kind of coming out of it right now. And I just think, it really should get its props. I mean, all over the world for, for what it did and how it managed yeah. things. It was really, uh, it was really wonderful. This game has gotten us through so much in our lives personally. And then this, uh, this past crazy year. So, uh, so all good stuff. All right, guys, that's all the time we have at OTB today. I'd like to thank our guest, the head coach of the Clemson Tigers, Mike Noonan, uh, an educator in short pants. Is that what the quote was? And then yes. the rear view mirror is a lot smaller than the windshield. So uh, those are the two things we'll take from Noons. Uh, he reads all those books and then he just gives us the cliff notes. It's wonderful. We get the, <laughs> we get the quotes and the bumper stickers from Coach Noonan, but wanna want to thank him for jumping on the show. For Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold, I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB. 